0: Be praised and adored, and we thank you for it, Lord. We praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the hem of his garment, the hem of his garment. You know, we know that there was a woman with an issue of blood who got healed by touching it. And I thought it would be good. I'm always curious to know what's the details, you know, why, 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 what's the, if there's a significance, and there always is, and there's always more, God can show us out of these uh, uh, stories. So I thought I would study (coughs) the significance of the hymn of uh, Jesus' garment to get an understanding of what was so important about that, what was so important about that, uh, that it, that, that kind of stuck out to her by the Holy Spirit and then she made that her point of contact for the release of God's power these things have to have some kind of sense to them it can't just be let's make up something and make it a point of contact and God will meet us there and he'll do miracles for us they have to have some kind of spiritual scriptural significance can we get that out of there? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. They have to have some kind of scriptural or spiritual significance so that once a a spiritual fact... I'm going to get this other mic because I'm about to get really mad. You got me? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. And let's get these things fixed, okay, so we're not having to do all this stuff, interrupt the teaching. It's kind of hard to preach when you're, you know, you can be as anointed as you want to be, but something gets you irritated and over in your flesh, you can lose it. So let's do these things and keep everything ship-shaped the way it's supposed to be. So these things have to have a spiritual significance before they can have any validity in people's thinking. Because we're talking about a woman who is a Hebrew, and she was brought up in a certain uh, type of of uh, culture, not only was it a culture, but it was a culture that worshipped a certain god and so <clears throat> when you think about that, her background and her culture had something to do with understanding the real true and living god so you wouldn 't take a woman like that and give her some uh, some uh, baal worship point of contact or something just out of thin air it would have to be something that would make sense to her according to her background and so the hem of uh, of of uh, one's garment has a significance and so we're going to follow the history of that in numbers chapter 15 you'll see a, a a mention of this and this was a commandment that god gave And how many of you know that all of God's commandments are good and to be followed? If you follow them, something good will happen and there will be a good result from that. In Numbers 15 and verse 37, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and bid them or command them that they make them fringes, in the borders of their garments throughout their generations. So this wasn't a one-time thing or some kind of fad that, you know, uh, a Hebrew fad or something like that that was just going through and and came to pass and, and was different. But he said, in all generations, that they would have fringes in the borders of their garments and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. So God is specific. He tells them where to put it, even what color to use. And it shall be unto you for for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. So in other words, if a Hebrew is walking down the street and some uh, say a non-Hebrew young woman that you know they dressed differently they dressed for show you know the heathen women that lived around the jewish people had their own way of dressing the bible describes it from time to time they talk about women with ankle anklets on or ankle bracelets on that would tinkle when they walked and they talked about a woman having a mincing walk you know what that is switching and tinkling huh and tinkling as you switch huh and so that mincing walk was to get attention from her or for 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 some man toward her and so if you were a good hebrew you went like this safe huh didn't look and keep looking and pull your, your shades up over your eyeballs. I remember one time Pastor Shirley and I my husband and her husband were sitting on the porch, we were over for a cookout or something. And so we were standing in your front door behind the screen door and they were sitting out there that they obviously didn't know we were there because they knew better. And so there was two young girls came walking by and they did one of these. Had shades on and then when the girls went by they lifted them up. And we said, We hope your eyeballs fall out, your old dog. They don't want you, your old, your old broke down stuff. (laughs) By the time we got finished rebuking them, they they was grabbing them. If they'd have had some tassels, they'd have been grabbing them, huh? But that's what you did when temptation came under the old covenant. You got me? And that's why they wore them. And that's why God told them to wear them. To remind them to obey His commandments. Huh? And not disobey. And so He says that you would remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. That you seek not after your own heart. Because God knew what was in a man's heart. And your own eyes. Uh, Like the shifty husbands. After which you use to go a-whoring. So you use your eyes to go a-whoring. It's the truth. Very true. That's why it's good to watch what you watch. And I don't mean that in the sense of keep watching it, but I mean be careful about what you lay your eyes on. Because the enemy will set you up. To have things come before your eyes to draw you away from God. But remember, you've got, a, you've got better than a, a tassel on your hem. Even though that was excellent back in that day, that will keep you straight. But you have the Holy Spirit and he brings conviction on you when you go astray. You know when you've messed up because he's upset on the inside of you. So we have a better covenant, better promises, and we can keep it better. Because of what we have in the Holy Spirit. And lust of the eyes will grab anybody. You know, it's watching I was thought I was watching uh uh some jewelry and I said, Well, I get a few little gifts and before I knew it I was thinking about me. Hmm? So I changed the channel. I made up my mind I was not gonna go in the hawk. Well not yet anyway. I <laughs> ah, whatever you know what you know how you know how we do but you know you can save yourself a lot of trouble i remember when i was before i was saved you know we regretted after every christmas because we were so heavily in debt just buying gifts you know never living live within a budget for a while but you can always find a good reason not to keep living in the budget right and so those are things that we have to remember that God wants us to stay disciplined in. You know, whatever commitment you've made to God, value you made to God, value you made to yourself, and in those moments where you do have them flashes of wisdom, and you promise yourself you're not going to get heavily in debt just because it's Christmas. You got me? You need to keep those vows to yourself. You got me? Because I remember we could afford a lot of things. But, you know, there were times we said, why are we doing this? You know, just just quit doing it and see, see what you can do if you become a saver. <laughs> Praise God for savers. So anyway, he says, and that you may remember and do all my commandments. Because people have a tendency to do some and make excuses for others. You got me? And so he says here, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So God brings us out so that he can be God to us. He can't be God to us if we're in the world. Remember the sacrifice of the Hebrew was an abomination to the Egyptian? Everything that you do in God is an abomination to the devil and his people. And that's why God brings you out from under the devil's power so that you can freely serve God. You can do what God tells you to do without worrying. If you worry about what people say, that's on you. But you don't have to because God has brought you out of the enemy's power. You know, people tell you you can't pray at your job. You can do anything you want to do at your job. If they can cuss at your job and play rap music... And talk about each other's girlfriends and mamas and all that kind of stuff. And call them hoes and worse than that. Then you can pray at your job. Huh? In fact, a prayer would be a welcome addition. You just ask any of them sane people. Any of them people that's real and struggling sometimes like you are from time to time. You ask them what they'd rather hear. Some crazy rapper lines or pre- hear that God wants to help them and we'll help them. And they'll tell you in a minute, I'd rather hear that. See, they'd rather hear that. Huh? <laughs> so you can do whatever you want because you've been purchased out of the enemy's power. You can work for God, live for God, be blessed of God, put him first in everything. You, can, Your boss will work for you. Huh? Your boss will work for you. I had a, I had a good friend that, um, younger in my, my walk with the Lord, uh, she worked as a social worker. And, you know, she never considered quit working, but she was really a, a minister by call, you know. But a lot of times women don't perceive and respond as strongly sometimes as men, but she, she would work out wherever she was. And she was at her job and her boss came in her office and closed the door behind her. And the boss said, you know, there's somebody I really want you to pray with. And she said, well, can it wait? And she said, no. She said, well, what are you doing? She told the boss. She said, the boss said, I'll do that. Amen. See, y'all don't know. Y'all, y'all don't know. See, y'all don't know. But when you're sincere with God and you put him first. He will break down. He don't care. He don't care about who you work for and how powerful they are. And your paycheck and what'll happen if it'll stop and all that kind of nonsense. God could care less about that. He, he's got kingdom bids. These are eternal things that we're talking about versus temporal things. Huh? He could care less about all this nonsense. But you gotta be, you gotta have that kind of relationship with him. You got me. You can't be using him to get your boss to do your work. You understand what I'm saying? You, you gotta go back sometime with God to where He's worked with you and brought you to that point where you know that His business comes first and you drop everything in order to go do what God tells you to do. And so these fringes were put there so that they would remember God's law and do it. Not just memorize some scriptures in your head and feel like you got the word, but remember them And do them. So then, in this hymn, in this tassel, it was a symbol not only of God's Word and the significance of God's Word, but also the power and the authority to carry out the Word. We have a lot of people who understand the Word, but they're kind of weak on following through on it and doing what the Word says to do. And so that tassel represented God's Word. The authority and the power that was in that word. <clears throat> the word for tassel, I'll spell it for you, is pronounced zit zit, And it it's T like Tom, Z like zebra, I, T like Tom, Z like zebra, I, T like Tom. This word in Hebrew is translated as border, fringes, feathers, Or wings. So it's border, fringes, feathers, or wings. All generations were commanded to do this. And you'll see throughout the generations of the Hebrew culture... As their dress changed and their manner of living changed, they went from the fringes on the four corners of the border of the garment to changing the garment to something removable, easily removable. This is neither good nor bad it 's just the way things were but if if you had something a garment on, you put it on one time and it stayed on it reminded you of oh God, I think that 's a better means than having it removable but over the years (coughs) what they did at first they had a garment that was kind of had a slit at the bottom with four corners and they would sew the the tassels there with a blue thread it was generally a blue tassel then they went to a garment that they put over that which was called the talit, T-A-L-L-I-T So you got a talit with zit-zit on the bottom. But the talit was like a tunic that had a hole cut in it so that you could put, it was like an apron really. If you consider a piece of, if you laid out a piece of cloth along this table, you cut a hole in it for the person's head. And it fit a panel in the front and a panel in the back. And so on the four corners of that, they also put the tassels. So the tassels moved from a permanent garment to a removable garment. And in the time of Jesus, this talit was also a prayer shawl. What they refer to as a prayer shawl. And so it generally had four zitzit on it. The things that they make now that, that they sell to people. You know, people, Christians always got some something going on. Uh, that have a lot of fringe on them, that is not really what they were designed. That's how not not how God told them to make them. Okay? So God's design was with four fringes. So if say if you were the woman with the issue of blood, you have four chances (laughs) to grab. You know what I'm saying? The 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 zit zit on the bottom of Jesus' garment. In Exodus nineteen four, you see that word Feathers, wings, uh, fringes used again in Exodus 19 verse 4. He says, you have seen what I did unto you, unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So that word for wings is the same thing as the zit on the bottom of the shawl that the Hebrew would wear. So then in this situation, the fringe or the wings are symbols of deliverance. So there's deliverance in the wings or the feathers or the tassels. So they represent deliverance. In this instance, they also represent safety. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he will cover you with his tzitzit. The same thing that's on the bottom of the robe. So you can see their significance here. God keeps drawing them back to his salvation his original covenant that he had with them whenever they see something with fringes or feathers they're reminded of God's salvation they're reminded of how he bore them on eagle's wings back unto himself so that they in the presence of God is your safety folks is your comfort Never run from God, run to him. You find out something God's involved in and get there as fast as you can. Amen? And so he bore them on eagle's wings unto himself. So that word for feathers, fringes, the same uh, fringes on the edge of the robe, the significance there is deliverance and salvation and safety. So you get into a place of safety. When God bears you on his wings. In Malachi 4 verse 1 we see another application of that same concept. And this is a very familiar one if some of you are read the healing scriptures on a regular basis. And it says, <clears throat> Malachi 4. Wait a minute, I don't think it's 1. Verse 2. But unto you that fear my name. see It's back to the reminder about God's word. And obedience to it shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as calves in a stall and you shall tread down the wicked. So in his wings there's authority also and power over all the power of the enemy. So when people would look at, then remember the same word that's for, for the tassels and the wings, it's the same word. So the Hebrew is hearing the word zitzit. God will, will sell the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his zitzit, Same thing that's on the bottom of the robe. So then the connection is made in the mind of the Hebrew that these fringes will carry in it delivering power. They will carry in it authority over all the works of darkness. They carry in them power of the supernatural sort that is an overcomer over all the power of darkness. So then you can, can trust that when you reach out for that tassel or that fringe or that border, that hem, that you will be delivered from all power of darkness, you'll be delivered of all everything that's against you the power the the concept that that power can be transferred though was a concept that that maybe wasn't as well known because I'm sure a lot of people wore their their shawls and all that kind of stuff and and didn't didn't. Uh, quite understand for instance the this the uh the uh conversation jesus had with the pharisees about praying they had stopped connecting prayer with god and his word and had gotten into vain repetition remember he said you think you will be heard because of your much speaking and what did he say he said when you pray go into your what?" Talit, the word they used there was talit. he said go into your closet so what the talit did i wish i had one here that i'm thinking about it. i didn't think i'd need one but uh who's got a is there a jacket here i can that's a little big anybody got a little jacket give me your scarf what you doing so give me that tallit Girl, give me that talib right now. I command you. Ne- <coughs> All right. So the concept was that when you prayed, instead of doing it, I bless thee, Father. I thank thee, uh, most gracious heavenly Father, you who stood on the precipice of the earth. And this, you know what I'm talking about. Them radio prayers, what I call them. <laughs> he said, shut up and do this. Go into your talit, your closet. You got it? In other words, get in there between you and God. Don't let anybody else hear what you're saying because it ain't for them, it's for him. You got me? So your relationship is for you and God, not for whoever. Got me? Oh, I just found my talit. Yeah, Avis, who needs your old talit? I got my... (laughs) Thank you anyway, honey. I appreciate it. But uh, that was the concept. Because religious people do what they do for everybody but God. Y'all know that. Everything that they're about is for a show. To see if they can impress somebody. How spiritual they are, etc., etc. So Jesus told them to shut up and do what you were commanded to do all those years ago. And keep it between you and God. In fact, obeying the commandments is something that's between us and God. You know, you don't obey commandments for people. You can't hurt people by disobeying God. You're hurting yourself when you disobey God. And so these things are things that we need to keep in, in mind when we talk about these things. So he told them to get in their closet and pray. Don't do it openly to be known of men for what you're doing, but you need to do it in response to God. And so when, when people can pray and understand that it is covenant between you and God, it is a personal thing between you and God, even when we pray corporately here, you are contacting God yourself personally. It just is a help to us all when we pray as a group. Because the anointing's greater. We can all add more to it and so forth and so on. Makes the work lighter. But it is still a personal thing between you and God. And so <clears throat> in Malachi it says the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings or his rays. So we know that healing is there. We know that aliv- deliverance is there. Safety and salvation. The power and authority of the word is there. There was another instance in 1 Samuel 24 between David and Saul, and y'all know the story. David was was running from Saul, and so Saul then, let me turn to it because it's kind of significant in understanding the authority that's in that. And then we'll talk about the transfer of authority from one individual to another by the talit. So, I mean, seat, seat. I'm getting them mixed up. Talit was the shawl, right? I got it here. I even drew a picture so I wouldn't get them mixed up. So, First Samuel 24. First Samuel. <clears throat> Verse 1, it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Saul took 3,000 chosen men. Now imagine this. He's chasing one guy and got to take all these people with him. You know, David had a band of men, but they were small in comparison. And he went to seek David. <clears throat> And his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. You know what that means, right? He'd go to the bathroom. all right. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy in your hand. Now they're pushing David up to... Go and take Saul. You know, you, I don't care how spiritual you are, there's somebody gonna always get in the flesh and try to push you the wrong way. Says that you may do to him as it shall seem good to you. So, David, come on. This guy's vulnerable. Go in. Kill him. David arose. Now, it didn't take much to get David stirred up. He's that kind of guy. He got up and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he cut off the zit from his robe. Hmm. That was a grievous dishonor to do that to a Hebrew man. What that said was that you had the power to disconnect them from God. Got me? you did that to humiliate somebody to disinherit them etcetera etcetera so it wasn't just just a piece of cloth he he really dis- took authority away from him dishonored him and symbolically cut him off from god and he said to his men the the lord forbid that i should do this thing unto my master the lord's anointed To stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is still the anointed of the Lord. In other words, I have no authority to tell him that God is not his God anymore. That he's no good. That he doesn't qualify. He doesn't measure up. All that kind of stuff. So that I have no authority to do that. So David stayed with his servants with these words. And suffered them not to rise up against Saul. But Saul rose up by the cave and went on his way. David arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. He's trying to undo what he's done. You know, he's trying to repent and make it right with Saul again. David said to Saul, Wherefore (coughs) did you hear the men's words saying, Behold, David seeks your hurt? behold this day your eyes have seen how that the lord had delivered you today into my hand in the cave and some even encouraged me to kill you but my eyes spared you and i said i will not put forth my hand against my lord for he is the lord's anointed more after my father see the skirt of your robe in my hand for in that i cut off the skirt of your robe i did not kill you know that you that know I killed you not, know thou and thee, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you are still hunting my soul to take it. Lord judge between me and you, etc., etc. And then Saul said something kind of unusual to David in verse. 17, he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you evil. And it showed that this day how you have dealt well with me. For as much as the Lord had delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man find his enemy, will he not let him go well away? Wherefore, the Lord rewards you good. And now, behold, I know well that you shall surely be king. Well, how did he know that? He had gotten enough advantage over him to take the authority of the kingdom away from him by cutting off his seat seat off of his robe. You got me? So it was, it was symbolic in that he did not take his life, but it was prophetic in that he did get that far. So as far as he got, God has to honor. So if he takes the kingdom from him, but spares his life, then God has to release. And we know for a fact that David had been anointed king already. It was just that Saul was refusing to relinquish that authority to him. So that became a defining moment where the authority for the kingdom of Israel was cut from Saul and David accepted it and understood that that was his role, that he would rule in Israel from that day forward. So there we have the authority being. Disconnected by disconnecting one from the word, from the wings, from their salvation, from their deliverance. When one is disconnected from God, their safety is in jeopardy, their future is in jeopardy, their authority is in jeopardy. And that's true. You disconnect from God in any way. You think you can run around and do things and don't have to ask God and don't have to seek him and don't have to... You disconnect yourself from God. You're setting yourself up from, for defeat. You got me? And you can't compromise on this. It's either 100% or nothing with God. You know, you can't just give him little bits of your life and so forth. And I think he's going to accept it. He accepts on his terms, not ours. And so... There we have that. Now in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see the transfer of this power. And that's important to see that established, because for the woman with the issue of blood to have been healed, she, there would have to be a knowledge that this authority was not just personal for the person who wore that, but now it can move out and be transferred. So we see it symbolically being taken away from Saul in that his garment was cut and the, the tassels removed. Now you're going to be able to see it, the power transfer from one individual to the other one. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, was it I said? And, and we know this story is the Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha had a request, and in order for that request to be fulfilled, there had to be some obedience on his part. And so what was his obedience? He had asked for a double portion of the spirit that was on his teacher or his master. In those days, they called the teacher the master because that was really the relationship, you know, in order to be taught you had to submit totally and carry through with what you were being taught. So, you know, in, in in those situations, if people really didn't want what the master had, they were free to not partake of it. But if you did, there were certain requirements, just like anything else we do. You know, there are requirements. If you... You want to keep a job, you got to go to work on time every day and do your job when you get there. And don't be giving everybody grief. You understand there's just certain requirements for things if you want those results. And so <clears throat> Elijah told Elisha that if he saw him when he went to heaven, that he could have that double portion of his spirit. 2 Kings 2, verse 1 came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, "Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said to him, As the Lord liveth and as my soul lives, I won't leave you. Huh? Now, as long as you follow through, those are good vows, but if you're making vows that you don't keep, they're not worth anything. So the man of God was not impressed until he saw him follow him. You got me? And verse 3, the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said to him, Don't you know your master is going to be taken away today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Shut up. Huh? said, I'm, I'm here on a mission. mm." Now, there are people all the time that are going to mock you and try to keep you from doing what God's put you here to do. And you may look a little foolish to the natural man doing it. But there's great reward if God's told you to do it and you're being obedient to God. Elijah said to him, Elisha, "Tarry here, I pray you for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So you see even the man of God testing him to see if he was going to obey what he said in his heart he wanted to do or not. Sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, don't you know he's going to leave? Now this is people that have a little bitty prophetic gift. You know, the ones that can get a little word of knowledge and then they take it and try to boss everybody else around with it. See, anybody that was under that anointing knew that that was the day he was going to leave. If the ones who followed him from a distance knew it, of course the man who was close to him knew it. And the man of God knew it too. But there has to be a testing sometimes of your commitment, of your uh, devotion, of all of these things, to see if you're going to let go or you're going to hold on to what God told you until you get what you're supposed to get. See, right now, some of you want to quit because you've been disappointed with some things. And you don't know if God told you you were supposed to have them or not. You just couldn't get your hands on them. You're mad at God. Well, it's the truth anyway. Because to me, if God told you you're supposed to have it, you don't be mad at him. you be thanking him because you know it's coming. Huh? And so many times we're tested to see if we gon' going quit. Everybody gets it. If it's good enough for the profit, it's good enough for the non-profit, so to speak. <laughs> huh? We all got to pass that test. I told God I was going to do something, but I couldn't do it because. Huh? You get nowhere with that. You got to do it in spite of you got to do it if it hurts you to do it. you got to do it if it costs you extra to do it. you got to do it if it takes you out of your way to do it. you got to do it if that's what's required by God. So anyway, he says in verse, Elijah's still trying to get him to stop. Verse 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar, and the two stood by Jordan. Well, that's good. The devil needs to back up. I like my devils at a distance. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together, in other words, to fold it, and smote the waters, and they were divided back and forth. So the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask right now is the time to ask. It wasn't before, it's now. Now is the time to ask. He said, ask, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken, you will get it. Came to pass as they went on and talked. Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, horses of fire. And it ran between the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And saw him no more. He took... Uh, his old coat on his own clothes and rent them in two pieces but he took up the mantle of Elisha and that's his shawl that has the fringes on the bottom many people depict it they think it's some kind of Darth Vader looking cloak or something like that and all that kind of stuff but it was actually the shawl that he wore over his shoulders And he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted here and there and he went over. So he was able to prove that that power was there. He wanted the God of Elijah. He didn't want what Elijah had. He didn't want Elijah's money. He didn't want anything like that. He wanted the God of Elijah. And when you live your life for God, people will want the God that you serve. Amen. They see what you can do. They see the power and the authority that you walk in. That's attractive to people, folks. I mean, come on now. Long Island medium and she only knows about dead people. Come on, our God is the God of the living. He can, she can't heal nobody. She can't do anything but make people cry. Because she makes them believe that somebody dead is talking to them. And so we can do much better than that. We serve the God of the living who can meet needs. So we see there the transfer of power into those fringes, into that mantle, into that zeet zeet, huh? As a covering. As a protection for the man of God. As a place where he could meet with God. He could pray under that thing and have close contact with God. He's reminded of the commandments of God to obey them without fail. So this is a powerful piece of clothing folks. It's not and I just I guess I hate to see it cheap and so that was one of the reasons I was really asking God about the prayer shawl because I see people just selling them and. Telling people, you know, oh, you can have a prayer shawl just like this and, you know, we get them from Israel and that, well, come on now. God's alive. He's not just in one place. It doesn't matter where you get it from. As long as you make contact, if it's a point of contact for you to get a hold of God, then it's powerful for you. So, the woman with the issue of blood, there was all of this history about these, uh, These uh, tassels, you know, the power that they represent, the authority that they represent. And here she is with an issue of blood, and she's not able to get well from it. Now, you've got to understand that there were certain laws governing different kinds of bodily discharge. And, And, you know, the Bible is not only a book of Of uh, prayer and, and the word and authority of God, but it's also a book of wisdom in medicine and in other things. and so in let me see Leviticus fifteen, it tells you <clears throat> what it meant when there were certain bodily issues one of one of part of this chapter talks about any bodily discharge, male or female, but the second part of it speaks specifically. To the female, verse 19, if a woman have an issue and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be apart seven days. Whosoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. So this woman was, I guess, maybe a ticking time bomb to people around her. And so she probably had to separate herself. If she was going to be obedient to God, she had to separate herself from people. Anybody that touched her bedclothes or anything like that was considered unclean. Verse 25, she have an issue in her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as days of her separation. She shall still be unclean. So here this woman was 12 years suffering with this thing. So, and people no doubt knew it. And she probably lived a very lonely life. She lived a very separated life. And it says in verse 28 though, he says, But if she be cleansed of her issue, which means that if it stops, then she shall number to herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And the eighth day she can go to the priest and make the offering according to the rules of the old covenant. Now we know this bleeding never stopped. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why the young man was born blind. Remember the Pharisees were trying to who sinned? Everybody wants to know who sinned, either him or... So this woman really was forced to go to physicians. She didn't have any recourse. It was thought that if you were an obedient Jew, you didn't have disease. But they did have disease. And so whenever there is a situation like that... You're going to have to go outside of the normal channels of getting your help in order to be helped. And so God mercifully could have let the doctors help her but they couldn't help her either. And so instead of her giving up and calling it quits she began to open up her ears to hear of a different way to get her healing. And so in... Matthew chapter 9, I think we'll go there and pick up our story in real time, so to speak. Matthew chapter 9. Let me try Mark chapter 5. I want to find one that says what I wanted to say or what I needed to say. Okay, we'll go to Mark chapter 5. I like that one better. It says, a certain woman would had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus came behind him in the press and touched his garment for she said in one translation she it says she said within herself prayer hmm? she was already under her own shawl you got me because she knew the power of prayer and she knew the power that God could give her if she did not give up if you don't quit you will see the glory of God. And so she heard about Jesus. Now what did she hear? What did she hear? There was another instance in the Bible where people were being uh, healed by touching the hem of his garment. Now we don't know in Mark chapter 6 and verse 56 it says as many as touched him were made whole. So the wholeness that comes through touching the rabbi or touching the anointed person or something like that had almost been established in his ministry. She would heard all kinds of stories about him. But she had heard something that caused her to believe That there was something different about this man that if she would touch the word and his authority, if she would touch salvation through him, she had a complete picture of what these little fringes really meant and what they could really transfer into her life. She probably had that better than a lot of people. You know, some people who are not receiving the fullness of God, it doesn't mean they're ignorant of the word. It just means that they haven't put it all together yet to apply it so that they can receive what God has for them. Sometimes people who have struggled a long time to get their healing or a long time to get their deliverance, then people are walking encyclopedia as to what works and what don't work. Those are very, I mean, many times people go on, that's how people go on to have a healing ministry. After they've been healed supernaturally because they've gone through the word, they've studied the word, they know what, you know, somebody told them do this, they know don't do that because that don't work. They know how to do all of the things that are misses and they know how to get the hit too. And so many times if a person, it doesn't mean that they're ignorant or it doesn't mean that they haven't studied the word or they're lazy about getting into the word or anything like that. It just means they haven't had the chance to put it all together yet. But this woman had the chance to put it all together. She knew the stories about the robes that, that you know, about the, the cords on the bottom of the robe and the power and the authority of the words to remind you to obey God. So she was probably walking in obedience to God. She wasn't some kind of sinner or some disobedient person and she stayed sick because she was disobedient. Her hour had not come totally for her deliverance yet. You know, when you're seeking healing from God, all this stuff has to come together. You know, I mean, it's just like you see people on Benny Hinn, and I've been, I've been watching you for two years, and I've been doing this, and then they finally, it takes all those steps sometimes for people to receive healing. And then sometimes people just kind of want to jump into it and get mad because the first time they go to Benny Hinn, they don't fall out and get totally healed from top to bottom. Sometimes that word will begin to heal you in increments. You can always get healed by the word, by meditating on the word and taking it like medicine. But you've got to take it. You can't just sit with them earphones on and wish you were doing something else. It says full attention. It doesn't say partway attention. It's full attention. And so if you do, and I'm telling you, if you give it your full attention, it won't take so long to get it. So anyway, this woman heard of Jesus. What did she hear? Somehow she must have put it together that he was the Messiah. Because that reference in Malachi 4 is a messianic scripture the S U N Son of Righteousness uh, shall arise. The day star has been risen among us. Amen? And so it was the, the day star now has risen. And what's the day star supposed to do for us? Well he's supposed to come in the power of Elijah, where the anointing is transferred to whoever possesses the mantle. The authority is transferred by whoever grabs the end of somebody's robe. Remember Saul? His anorm- he was disconnected from his authority because David cut off his robe. So there's something about the Messiah. When he comes, he'll arise with healing in the fringes, the zeet or the feathers, or the little uh, tassels at the end of his shawl that he wears. There's power there. And she must have been a unique person among people to be able to figure that out. Because most people went to Jesus, complained to him, and he touched them. But there are some unique people in the Bible who have to get with God a different way to figure it out. This lady could not go to them and get delivered out of her uncleanness because she was still unclean. She could have, if that bleeding had stopped, she could have gone and made the sacrifice and been set straight, but it never stopped. So there are situations where your case won't be the -the run-of-the-mill case. Your case is going to be different. It's going to baffle people. Those are the times that you got to go a little bit farther, a little bit deeper. You can't just take the superficial and say it didn't work and it's not going to work. You're going to have to go a little bit farther like she did. And she heard of Jesus. She heard people were getting healed by them. And she heard not just the Hebrews were getting healed, but sinners were getting healed too. And see, if she's a Hebrew woman, that would give her great indignation to know that there was a place. You mean somebody who's not serving God gets this and I can't get it? And so many times that indignation where you think something isn't right here. Is God unfair or is he a good God? And can I claim it? If a sinner has it and they can get it so easily, can I claim it too as a child of God? But not on the basis of who I am, but the basis of what I believe. And she began to believe in the power and the authority of the Word of God that would be emitted through the, the flow of that prayer shawl. She knew that Jesus had a different priesthood than their normal priesthood that they had. Because their priests were called to the Hebrews only and he was somebody different. Huh? He came from a different kind of a priesthood. The priest that. that that generally ministered over the nation of Israel were from what tribe? Say it loud. Come on, say it. Don't be ashamed to be right. The tribe of Levi. What tribe was Jesus from? From the tribe of Judah. So he had no connection with the Levitical priesthood, yet he was a minister. So this lady, because her situation was unique and fell through the cracks in so many different ways, she identified with Jesus because she said, this guy comes out of nowhere. He's got power with God. He kind of fits the description of the Messiah. Yet he's maybe I fit in his world more than I fit in the Hebrew world. And she found that she did. Sometimes we have to look at ourselves And and truly, the way we are, say, I'm a unique case. I am not your run-of-the-mill person that just needs a healing and can just spend, spend three days in the Word. I might have to go through some changes to get this, but I'm getting it. That's all you have to say at the end is that I'm getting it. And so she found enough loopholes there, so to speak, that she felt that Jesus might be the answer for her. She heard about Jesus. And she thought to herself, she said, I've been taught all my life about the power in the wings and the fringes and the the ends of the garment and the prayer shawl. And didn't Elisha, wasn't he able to use the same mantle that his master had and do the same miracles? I need a miracle and maybe I can use the mantle of this master and get what I need from him. And she made up her mind and she got a witness from the Holy Spirit that this was what was gonna, what it was going to take to get her straightened out. And when she touched him, the Bible says, she said with verse 28, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straight away the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And she would have been content to just run off healed. And live her life. She was already an outcast. So her healing would buy her a new identity. And she can go off and do what she wanted to do. Or she could resume her life with her family. If she went to the priest and made the appropriate sacrifice. She could say, my bleeding stopped. Here's my sacrifice. Let me back into society. And so Jesus stopped her though. Because he always stopped people to reassure them of what they did And how they got what they got. It's very important. You need to know why what you did was effective. You have to know that. Or else you'll go through life ignorant and sick all the time and not know how to get healed. Because sometimes the supernatural happens so quickly and so dramatically. That people take the healing and run off and think nothing else of it. Didn't he say you only get 10% of the people come back and give thanks to God? (laughs) When you heal 12, you only get one or two to come back and say thanks. And so Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, everybody's touching you. He looked about, and the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, her, came and fell down and told him all the truth. And he said, Daughter, your faith has made you, it's given you authority. It's given you healing. It's given you deliverance. It's given you salvation. It's given you protection. Nobody can condemn you for what you've done. You've been set free from every legal rule that was ruled against you. You're free to go back and be a part of society again. And your faith did that. The old covenant law couldn't do that for you. That law's been done away with. It was just teaching you the ways of God until the reality of it would come. There were many people that were waiting for the new covenant to come in force so that they can get the freedom and the power of God to receive what they needed in life. She was just one of them. The young man born blind, the man laying by the poolside. These were people whose reality of healing would come when the new covenant came and not before. And so Jesus said these people were in the condition they were in for the glory of God. Not because they sinned, but they were in that condition for the glory of God. When you're in the new covenant with God, you're not in that position because you sinned, because you can repent and turn it over to him. And it will be for the glory of God. God will get glory out of anything that happens to any of his kids. Because we can turn that over to him and touch his hem. Amen. So the hem of his garment is the authority of God. It's the power of God. It's the rays and the fringes that have healing in his wings. It's the protection where God bears us on Engel's wings. It's your prayer closet when you want to go in in covenant with God, in, in the secret place of the Most High, where you can dwell with God, where nobody can come in and pull you out, and nobody can do anything to you, there's a protection for you. And that's all in the hem of his garment. That's all we need is to touch enough of that anointing with our faith to pull what we need from God. And it's a wonderful thing because we walk under that covering all the time. We can touch those fringes anytime we want to. We can have that power. We can have that authority because he dwells in us. And his power is with us at all times. Why don't you start some music back there and we'll pray for people. If you need prayer because of anything, especially if there's sickness in your body, you can start to come up and we'll pray for you. The power of God is consistent throughout the Old and New Testament. His power is always there for his people. At one time it was obedience to the law. Now if you break the law, you can repent and have that relationship refreshed and renewed again. So this is a wonderful thing that we have in God. We don't have to stay on the outside. We can be on the inside and get our needs met. Right back. You. your presence. We're waiting to give you. Now that we're here, here in your presence, humbly we bow. Speak to us